Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode. This is episode 96. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we're getting a lot of reviews, man, but we're not getting any written ones. What's going on? You know, I, 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 the old saying, beggars can't be choosers, so as long as they're leaving five stars, Josh, I really really can't complain. Yeah, well, really they are leaving five stars, so we'll, uh, we'll give them credit for that. Well, what else would they leave? That's true. That's true. Especially now we got Nate, right? Uh, uh, Nate, because you know if there's a problem, we blame him. So uh, you can send those emails to him directly. I think everything is moving over to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast.com website that we just opened with the fishing trip coming up. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. where everybody is is attuned to now. So that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and be sure to sign up for the fishing trip because Josh, we are. Looking at this here, not this Friday, not next Friday, but the but two what two Fridays from now, three Fridays from now, I guess it is. We'll be down at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun, um, ripping a little bit of lip with two listeners um, who had signed up at TexasOilAndGasPodcast.com/fishing. So you can go there and you can sign up too, and maybe you can win the April or May or June trip. That's as far as we have it booked out right now. Um, go down there, get on a Friday night, get up Saturday morning, and go rip a little bit of lip. Um, with Josh and myself and two lucky listeners. So be sure to go to com slash fishing. And if you want to go book your own trip, go check out the folks at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun. We'll be sure to link uh, to them in the show notes so you can go and um, see what amenities they have there. So, yeah, Josh, good stuff. And uh, I'm getting pretty excited about it, man. Oh, man, I'm ready I'm ready to get this thing get this thing going. I hope it warms up a little bit. Uh, it's been sure been cold last couple weekends so hopefully we'll get you know a mid 60s something like that yeah really excited about the guests nice too. little breeze that'd be nice yeah well uh there was a few things that came out this week ryan one thing see the first uh, first article i want to talk about was something that is overlooked every year is the amount of money that the oil and gas industry pumps back into texas in the form of taxes so in 2018 the texas oil and natural gas industry paid more than 14 billion in taxes uh they average that over a year that's about 38 million dollars a day being paid in taxes it's going back into the schools roads um getting going back into the economy so it's a great thing for the state and um and something that i don't think is uh, as appreciated as it should be with the amount of uh, money that's being pumped into the economy there yeah 14 billion with a b that's insane and um so I've kind of got mixed mixed feelings on this, Josh. I, I guess uh, uh, you know if people are saying that oil and gas doesn't you know pay their fair share or whatever. Okay, well you can point to an article like this and say, okay, well obviously they are paying their fair share. Um, however, good gosh, that is a lot, a lot of money that's going to be wasted, and so it's just it's just a tragedy to see that fourteen point eight billion dollars or whatever it was fourteen billion dollars. Um. Will be will be used by politicians who can't manage their own banking account. So that's depressing. Um, but there was a couple of things in here. U.S. carbon emission, uh, carbon dioxide emissions are down to 20-year lows, and methane mm-hmm. emissions from oil and gas, natural gas systems are down 14% since 1990. I thought that was pretty interesting because we hear all the time about emissions and methane and this, that, and the other. 
Um, and we are booming the last few years, and we're down to you know basically record lows. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Uh, we don't they don't get a lot of coverage either. With I, mean, I, I can't put an exact figure on it, but I know that the production and overall uh, use of fossil fuels is way up, and yet carbon emissions are at you know 20-year lows. So uh, the industry is making strides and making cleaner energy, and that's one of the things that I think many um, in the media don't necessarily pay attention to. And uh, to give a little bit of perspective, Ryan, on, on year over year, looking at the taxes that were produced, last year we it's up 27 uh, percent so last year i believe it was around 10 or 11 billion that the industry put put into taxes going back into the state so we anticipated that production was definitely up last year over 2017 and um, I, I expect that in the coming year it's going to be you know, 2019 is going to be even higher um, once the bottleneck's taken care of i expect production to ramp way up and so I would love to see that number up, you know, around 17, 18 next year. You know, $133 billion. $133 billion since 2007. <laughs> Think about that. That is an insane, insane amount of money that is, uh, that is going there. And according to this article, uh, I just did a quick search on the Texas budget. Um, so back in 2017, this was for the 2018, 2019 budget. Um, they're looking at a $217 billion budget is so, um, let's see here. Uh, so yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I just did a quick Google search. So if I got that wrong, you know, send me an email. But I think 217 was the budget for, uh, this year, um, which, you know, 14 billion of that comes directly from more gas. So there you go. Well, next article run is Seeking Alpha. There was, it just, just came out on the 22nd. Uh, February, new pipelines drain Permian crude inventories to four-month low. Uh, so this was uh, a bit of good news for, for the Permian with the bottleneck going on. There were two pipelines that went active that are able to help with some of this excess supply that, that we've had. Uh, so all uh, Plains All-American, they expanded the capacity of its 300,000 barrels a day Sunrise Pipeline and Enterprise Products Partners began shipping crude on a converted natural gas pipeline, the 200,000 barrels a day Seminole Red Line, and they did that two months ahead of schedule. So analysts are expecting that the storage levels are going to rise again mid-2019, but then they're going to, you know, in the third quarter receive, you know, more relief when these other pipelines that are projected to go live on the in the third quarter, they go active. So a little bit of relief here uh, in the first quarter, and uh, good news, good news for the industry. Yeah, and it'll soften the spread some uh, that you're seeing internationally with the prices, so it'd be good for that. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it's uh, Epic wasn't mentioned in here, which is interesting because didn't we talk last year that Epic, from a natural gas pipeline to a crude oil pipeline, I think that's what we talked about last year, that they, they extended it or something like that, and so I, I was just surprised that they weren't mentioned in here. But, but yeah, and I think that, you know, as we talked about before, Josh, nothing new to you or the listeners, it's going to depend on the first half of production for this year, you know. As as we get closer to June or July, we'll see where production is. And then, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people feel like the second half of the year, uh, drilling levels will be up um, um, from the first half. So, 
but yeah, it, it feel it's it's good to see this is where that everything we've kind of been talking about for the past six eight months is still on track, and there's no foreseeable delays or uh, disruptions. David Blackman has an article that came out in Forbes. The oil and gas situation is a train wreck around the corner. So the purpose, uh, the reason he asked the question is, if you follow the news, there's some stuff going on with OPEC. They're announcing more um, more cuts, so they're trying to keep the price stable. And with the United States being such a powerhouse in production in the last year, year and a half, it's putting some pressure on them. And one of the questions that that Blackman is asking is, um, how long is this going to continue, and what are we expecting to to happen um, after? Six more months of the United States being such a powerhouse, when is OPEC going to respond and start upping their production and put the pressure back on us? Definitely a good question, and nobody know, really knows the answer, but he's, he brings up a couple of things in here that are interesting. I think uh, this paragraph, as the Financial Times story notes, the parties to the OPEC Plus agreement have pretty much fully implemented the 1.2 million barrels per day of export reductions they agreed to in November. At the same time, OPEC cut its projected global crude demand growth for 2019 to 1.24 million barrels per day. So through 2019, they're projecting that they're going to continue these cuts. Um, do you think they will, will continue through that, Ryan, through the year, or do you think they're going to make changes? Yeah, so the one thing that David um, doesn't spend a lot of time on in this piece is this really is around the idea of how – how much in the how, what was OPEC redlining put like that? So were they at capacity drilling last year? And Ellen and I talked about this on our show Energy Week several times. And you know, I, I think there was kind of a consensus that if they weren't redlining, um, they were close to redlining. So when you talk about rolling back some of the the production that they were doing, I, I think generally some of the OPEC uh, members are okay with that because they were kind of going, you know, we're kind of at max capacity here. The question is, is how far do they want to roll that back? And then the other question is, is how much of our light speed crude, we talked about this, can the market um, take, can it consume? How much does that have an appetite for? And, you know, you're, you're seeing headlines talk about that. And the problem I have really with this part of the argument, Josh, is that the people who talk about this stuff are so entrenched in one side or the other, it's really hard to get a good, a good balance as to whether or not um, the the crude quality issue is a real issue, or if it's something that's a minor issue, you know. Um, and, and and for example, they will point to articles, people who say the crude quality issue is something that's on the horizon and you know could be a big train wreck, if you will. Um, they'll point to a headline from a big company like Exxon or Chevron or Total or who, whoever, and you know they'll talk about the lights be crude and you know they don't have any room for it or capacity. But then they'll neglect the fact that ExxonMobil is expanding a, or building a new refinery and Chevron's expanding a refinery and, and they're investing more in the Permian. And so it feels like, I think, if the people are right that there is um, a limit, there is a limit, let me, let me step back, if we are at the limit of how much light sweet crude we can put on the market, if people are right that we're there, that could be the train wreck that you see. Um, I'm not sure that they are. I just know that there are some people who, who are pushing that narrative. So that's kind of what I'm watching for as we go through this year is, you know, the, the spread differential uh, between Brent and WTI. Um, and then, you know, is the market really full, if you will, um, with light speed crude? Or is it just kind of one of those things where 
um, they figured a workaround and, um, you know, it's not nearly the problem that some people thought it was. It's going to be, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch that this year, um, how it plays out and, and just to see, I think, um, the, the question is really going to be where do they want prices in 2020? Um, that's going to be the, I think the major, the major question and how long will the partners of OPEC, will they tolerate not producing and letting America you know, have the front lines? Uh, Ryan, speaking of front lines, Exxon Mobil last Friday announced a partnership with Microsoft saying they're going to make their Permian Basin operations the largest ever oil and gas acres to use cloud technology. And the purpose of this is so they can have real-time information, make um, you know decisions on the fly, real-time, and increase their efficiencies tremendously. They're, they're expecting the production growth to be by as much as 50,000 barrels of oil per day by 2025. And they're supposed to be that that's supposed to be due to application of these Microsoft technologies. So we've been expecting companies to start going in this direction. And we're seeing some big companies um, beginning to make the move to cloud storage and using some of these technologies to make um, decisions that are not weeks behind, you know, that are real time decisions. And I think this could be a great thing for them and perhaps be a model for other companies to start seeing the opportunities that this cloud technology may provide to oil and gas companies. Yeah, and I think, Josh, we've had listeners, we haven't heard it recently, but saying, hey, improvement technology, improvement technology, great pickup by you here because this is one of those, you know, one of those things you can follow now for the next, you know, three to five years as Microsoft comes in and works with ExxonMobil. Um, they can come in and say, hey, you know what, these are the types of technologies we're working on, this is the type of software. So, you know, people have said before, hey, we always hear about you know, improvements in drilling and stuff like that. Well, here's an example of Exxon, I mean, um, yeah, Exxon and Microsoft partnered together. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. Yep. You know, one of the questions I, I have for how this plays out would be, we all know that there's going to be growing pains both for uh, for Exxon and for Microsoft, they're not going to come in and just nail it right away. There's going to be questions, and you know, Microsoft doesn't understand the oil and gas industry, and the oil and gas industry doesn't understand. Uh, I, I don't believe the the technology side of things as well as they can or, or will in the future. So there's going to be some mistakes made, and there's going to be some difficulties they're going to go through. But I think two years down the road, they're really will be a better model laid out from this experience, I think, that would perhaps pave a way for companies in the future to have a more efficient way forward to utilize technology to, to bring in to bring in some some great opportunities, not only for, you know, the oil industry, but also the technology industry. There may be people that begin to step in the gap, uh, people that, you know, we, we always talk about the distribution of labor. There's going to be lots of jobs that come available on the technology side for, um, for folks in the industry so looking forward to that yeah no it should be it should be it should be exciting and um you know I, i'm always curious something like this you know you think okay oil and gas has its problems you know technology has has applications to solve problems but when they partner together as you mentioned there's a learning curve i wonder at the end of the day how much the microsoft side will go back and say you know what we didn't think about solving problems this way or building tools for things like this and so I wonder how much influence the oil and gas industry will have on the technology space um, um, to revamp tools or you know, 
build different. I'm not a tech guy, so I don't know. But you can see where I'm, where I'm getting at that they mm-hmm. how much how much influence because obviously tech's gonna have influence on oil and gas, but you would expect some of that to go both ways. So be curious to see um, you know how Microsoft comes out of this on the other side looking at things. Agreed. Well, last thing, Ryan, for our Texas Roundup, um, Permian Strategic Partnership Board hires a new CEO, Tracy Bentley. She previously served as the Executive Director of Colorado Petroleum Council. She is moving over to the PSP, the Permian Strategic Partnership, and uh, I've actually uh, tried to connect with her to see if she may be available to come on the show, so I'll keep everyone posted on that. I would be interested to find out what her perspective was on the bill that Colorado was trying to pass, what part or what hand she had to play in that. But um, just to see what kind of strategy she's going to have in the Permian. So um, stay stay tuned for that. Maybe we can uh, can schedule a time for her to come on the show. Yeah, and, uh, you know, she's going to have to advise us on how not to get bills like that up in the great set of Texas. And that's right. Up. That's right. Well, Ryan, I think that's it for us today. The rig count was 1,000 and... Well, hold on, hold on, Josh. Real quick. Yeah, 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 we, ha- we have I guests forgot. that are coming on, so we're going to go ahead and give the rig count. Then we'll have the guests, then we'll wrap the show up. Because sometimes pe- people hear that and they think, okay, the show's over. So we have to, we have some guests on from the OU Law Podcast that will be on here momentarily. Yeah, when we talk about the the NAEP Summit, right? Uh, yep. The, we have some NAEP people recap. that attended NAEP. Yep, they're going to have a, a NAEP uh, recap. So if you weren't able to make NAEP, uh, make sure you tune in to, to the guests coming on. They're going to have a lot of good information to share with us. But anyway, you're, you're giving the rig count, Josh. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, yeah, the rig count was 1,079, which is down 1% from last week. So it's just going back and forward, Ryan, every week. Uh, up up 1%, down 1%, up 1%. That's been, been the trend here for the last six weeks. Okay, today we have two guests coming on, Dan Ray and Brandon Lant. They are students at the University of Oklahoma. They are also the they, uh, co-host of Oklahoma Energy Podcast. Dan, Brandon, how's it going today, bud? Good. How are you, Ryan? Doing well. We also have Ryan Dobbs, our producer, with us. Oh, sorry, Ryan. Uh, great to have you on the show with us today as well. Oh, I'm super offended, but thanks. <laughs> well, blame, yeah. we, we blame Nate around here, so we'll blame Nate for not getting that lined out on our end. Our, our producer didn't give us that kind of quality information, but it's, it's good to see that y'all have a Ryan and a Ray on your side of the table as well. It kind of balances things out. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I, I got to ask before we get into Nate, um, there's, a, there's a rumor floating around Nate about cigars. Um hand-rolled cigars, maybe, something like that. Can you guys tell us anything about that? Oh, yeah, there are a lot of nice cigars in Nape. And they're free, too, which is uh, very nice, especially when you're a law student. You don't have yeah. a lot of uh, you know, discretionary income to spend on cigars. I, I believe that rumor originated from the Vincent and Elkins reception, which, um, boy, that made Hollywood parties and, and parties in the movies look bad. Golly. Um, yeah, they had a gentleman... Uh, outside at his table, uh, rolling Cuban cigars to order, and um, the open bar included 16-year-old Lagavulin, and, and it was oh yeah, it was a it was a party, yeah. Well, I I, I should have went if I'd have known. If I, <laughs> I didn't go this year. I should have went if I'd have known that's what was going on. I need to <laughs> we need to report on stuff like that on this show. That's right. <laughs> well, let's talk about NAEP in general. Uh, I didn't go, as I mentioned, this year. I've been the past couple of years. I'm, I would imagine the energy was high. The turnout was good. First off, 
Um, for the listener's perspective, was this your guys' first NAPE, or have y'all been to a couple? And um, what was your general walkaway feeling from what you guys experienced at NAPE this year? For most of us, it was our first time. I think Brandon had an opportunity to go previous, but this was the first opportunity to go in there and just see how big it really was, how many boots, how many vendors. It was really impressive. Yeah, this is my first time as well. Uh, it was kind of, you know, surprising to see people tell you, yeah, NAPE is a big event, but you get, you know, you get down there and it's, it's, uh, it's still surprising even knowing that it, it is a big event. Yeah, this was my, uh, this was actually my fourth NAPE. And uh, I'd gone with the undergraduate uh, student society a few years ago, too. Um, but what I will say is that this year, in, in my experience, which is limited, but um, was definitely the biggest and most heavily attended NAPE. I think a lot of people were saying this was the most booths that they had ever seen at NAPE. And that's always a good sign for optimism in the industry, I think. Yeah, and did you guys have a booth or were you all just walking the floor? We had a booth. We had a booth with the OU College of Law. We took our virtual reality display down there to show people. We took a drone up to Santa Rita number one, flew around a little bit, and then put a VR headset to it so you could sit there, look around, see everything in the distance, look down at the, the cars on the ground, looking how small everything was, but getting a little history as well as some free swag at NAPE, you know? That's right. So. You know, one of the things I found interesting my first time at NAPE was um, there's people with acreage and they're willing to will and deal. And you can kind of gauge what I, I kind of one of the tips I picked up is you can kind of gauge where people are interested in by walking around to the booths and saying, okay, this booth has, you know, 10, 20, 30 people around it um, and it's located in this area. This booth has no one around it and it's located in this area. And then if you make the trip two or three times across the floor, you can begin to pick up patterns that these certain areas aren't really hot and these certain areas are hot. Were you guys able to pick up on that? Maybe some spots where you saw, you know what, there was a lot of people talking about this or a lot of booths that had this type of acreage where people were really seem to be more focused on than others. Uh, in my opinion, it all depends on how good your swag was and, and what you were giving away. Um, especially, uh, you know, some of the one, one booth had a, I forget who it was, um, a golf simulator setup, uh, you know, like full size. Let's see. Um, I think uh, another company had their golf green setup uh, where you could put onto $1, $5, $10, $20 bills, and you got to keep whatever, um, whatever you came away with. But um, booth location is big, and, and we were kind of tucked over to the side uh, on the end as a university. But we tried to bring them in with our OU energy pins and, and other uh, other goodies we gave away. But um, like Ryan was saying, we think the virtual reality experience was a big success. And really, um, the, the booths that kind of put you through an experience or, or, or have like an activity for you to do, in my opinion, were probably the more crowded ones. Um, as far as acreage, though, boy, it was, it was across the board. Um, I didn't notice any specific areas that, that seemed to be hot based on people standing around the booths, but I think that's because they were offering, you know, acreage anywhere in the U.S. and outside of it. Um, you know, there were booths that were trading uh, deer hunts for leases, so I, it's always pretty cool what you see being offered up at Nate. You know, based yeah. on the murmurs, too, I didn't, I didn't notice this in terms of foot traffic, but based on murmurs, uh, you know, people seem to be really excited about the Powder River in Wyoming and they were saying like, Hey, you know, this is going to be 
the next Midland. And I, you know, I'm guessing that's hyperbole because it's, it's hard to imagine anything is going to be the next Midland, but um, people seem to be really excited about Wyoming. It's interesting because I, um, I know some folks who um, are some strategic players up there in the Powder River. We obviously don't talk about it on this show much. And I've kind of got a mixed review from them on um, what they think the potential of that thing is. And so it's interesting to hear that there's a lot of there's a lot of hype around it. Um, I, I have no opinion one, one way or another. It would be good to see um, you know another basin kind of explode and, and take the and take that mantle as maybe the the second the second Permian or a sub Permian or, or whatever a second Midland as you called it. Um, because you know one of the things we got now is we have a lot of labor intensive jobs here in the state of Texas. Um, but as you spread the industry out across the United States, if you had something um, in, the, in, the, in the Powder River Basin, you'd have, you know, like you guys have, you have a college program right there in OU, you'd expand, you'd exceed the labor force that would kind of be stretched um, to a new area where it's really not being focused on right now. Yep, absolutely. Well, and I know in our mineral title examination class, uh, Dave Hampton is really big on Wyoming right now and has Quite a few attorneys working hard up there as we speak. He seems to have a lot of interest in that area as well. So maybe that is coming down the pipeline a little heavier than we think. Yeah, that's right. He was talking about having his attorneys get barred in Oklahoma and Wyoming. And that was an interesting combination that I hadn't hadn't heard of much before. It's usually Oklahoma and Texas or Texas and Colorado or Oklahoma. <clears throat> Texas and North Dakota. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, they need more Wyoming mineral title attorneys, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, let's be honest here. If you can work in Midland or Wyoming, we all want to work in Wyoming. I think, you know, it's a little bit better scenery. So maybe the push has the aesthetic effect as well. Yeah. So um, you guys, you mentioned your booth traffic. You had a virtual reality flight simulator. Kind of walk the listeners through what that is um, and what they kind of, your 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 booth traffic, your booth visitors experienced. Sure. So, um Took a little preparation here at the school um, beforehand. Uh, what what the what the experience was was um, basically we filmed in 360 degree virtual reality, and and when you put the headset on, we, we make sure you you sat down first because flying above the Permian can give you a little motion sickness. But uh, had them sit down and, and you start the um, video as a guest on our podcast and you're in the University of Oklahoma Center for Technology and Innovation and Practice Laboratory, and you're sitting there with us, uh, the podcast host, and we kind of did it so that you're, you're the guest, and, and you're the guest of honor, really. Um, and so we, we butter you up a little bit like we do with most of our guests, and then we uh, send you up in the drone, and then we kind of narrated a script that Professor Dancy had uh, pretty much put together for us, and um, talk about kind of uh, the history of that well, um, how it came about, and uh, the whole experience is pretty cool because you can you can look around, you know, see for miles, um, and see the different landmarks that we're talking about in the narration, and, and, and really kind of get a bird's eye view of the whole thing. And it's neat because you can look down and see uh, Professor Bryce and Professor Dancy with his trademark lime green Mustang. So it was a it was a really neat thing for people who. You know, Nate maybe have never gone out in the field, but uh, you know, all of a sudden they can they can basically be there. And, and we're gonna try to we're gonna try to do it even better next year, and, and see if we can't do a real pipeline inspection on the drone, or, or get an industry partner if uh, if we can to really um, not only show kind of the general applications of getting to fly around and see stuff in 360, but the actual business applications of using you know virtual reality 
and or mostly drone technology uh, in the oil industry. The other cool thing about that too is that uh, there's a lot of ambiguity in the law uh, concerning what constitutes a trespass with flying a drone over uh, an oil field, but you know there there is a pretty big uh, exception if you're flying the drone for educational purposes. So right. you know that we're uniquely situated to kind of avoid those those trespass problems. So you're saying all my drone activity should be used for educational purposes? Right. Put an OU sticker on it. Just put an OU sticker on it. That way, if it gets shot down, you're good to go. It's funny you guys mentioned that because we talked on the show uh, last week, two weeks ago, Josh about. Um, air rights, you know, yeah, air rights, and so we're talking. We're having an eminent domain debate, I think, on the show. I think next week or week after, and you know, I kind of was was telling Josh, in my opinion, and you guys are legal students. I'm curious your thoughts on this. That even though it, theoretically, as Josh pointed out, you have mineral rights and service rights and air rights, the government basically has taken the air rights, and you really don't have those um, like you do service rights or mineral rights. Um, what do you guys think about that as far as air rights? Not necessarily with the FAA legislation for drones, just in general, um, with your, we'll test your legal prowess here at, uh, at OU. Well, so the biggest, this, one of the practical issues or, or say issues, um, scenarios that, that we've kind of looked at and, and thought about, um, you know, in a lot of, a lot of wells and lease sites, uh, operators will report the phantom production just to hold the lease. And, you know, that just means that they're reporting a minuscule or, or really production that wasn't even had uh, in order to maintain the lease and hold it by production. Um, but something that uh, I would say adventurous um, lessors or, or companies who own interests in uh, these wells are, are starting to, to consider is um, – flying drones out there to actually see and basically take photos of these wells when, um, you know, an operator claims that they're producing from those wells when in fact they aren't. And what these drones can do is take pictures and, and from the um, equipment and, and other facilities out there, essentially experts can say whether that well was producing or not from these drone this drone footage. And so whether or not that's going to be uh, admissible in court as evidence is really just still up in the air. And we don't know which way that's going to go because frankly, there isn't much case law about this at all. But um, we are we are talking to uh, certain companies uh, about maybe giving that a shot and, and basically taking that footage, uh, sending it to an operator who's been suspected of um, using this kind of phantom production method of maintaining the lease saying, hey, you know, we know you're not producing when you say you are. You need to uh, file a release or, you know, we're going to sue you. And so we're going to we're going to hopefully um, get something like that on the burner uh, here as soon as we can. Uh, we've had a one or two uh, industry partners kind of reach out and say, hey, we'd like to explore this because we think we're we might be getting screwed on some of these leases. So that's something we're, we're kind of uh, exploring for the future. And, and let me just hop in right there. If you are an oil and gas company, listen to this podcast. Josh and I have repeatedly said over and over and over and over again, if you do things the right way, you keep government out of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of giving the, the guests your hard time, but, but this is why, because if you don't do things the right way, you get sued, and then eventually the government comes in and says, you know what, you guys aren't trustworthy. We need to up our inspection. We need to change our legislation. We need to do this, that, or the other. So... And, and, and Josh and I are huge proponents of you know, surface uh, of, of private property and ownership. So 
Uh, on one hand, I commend the fact that you're holding the oil and gas companies accountable because they should not be holding leases um, under false pretenses. On the flip side, the oil and gas companies, don't let the government get involved because you guys are too lazy to um, to do the right thing. So um, that's a great that's a great example to where you're protecting the, the the property owner, but the oil and gas companies might not have the foresight to see. You know what? Eventually, if this is a big enough problem, uh, there might be some legislation come down and uh, and change the way we do business, and then they're gonna be whining and moaning about you know what? Oh gosh, woe is me because of this. When this is the problem, we all agree we could stop right now. You're exactly right. This isn't a win problem. I mean, it's happening right now. You know, the drones being able to do what they do, have the opportunity to be up and above. You know, this will be challenged in the next handful of years. We'll have some legislation on this. It's really going to be whether you're made an example of or whether you're the bright, shining object that they can point to and you're doing it the right way. And the reality is, if you're not producing and you're holding a lease, under uh, 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 if you're, I don't know what all the how the lawsuit would be formulated, but in my mind, the simpleton here would say, if you're telling me that you're having my lease under production, but you don't, that's stealing. Essentially, what that is. Yeah. And so, well, and breach of contract and a whole host of other issues <laughs> that. See, this is this is the lawyer stuff. This the this the simpleton here saying it's it's just plain theft as far as I'm concerned, and the lawyers then tack on everything else. So well, we, I know we have a lot of producers that listen to the show. These are the types of things that you don't want to do because it is theft. It is wrong. It's immoral. Um, and and if that's not good enough for you, government regulation will come in after these guys get a few lawsuits under their belt and eventually want to, you know, some some local congressman or whatever want to make some rule um, to legislate this stuff. So let's get it done right, folks, and do it the right way. Okay. Um, obviously, you mentioned Professor Dancy. Joe Dancy has been a guest on the show a few times, so he is the one who facilitated this meeting and this podcast. So thank you guys for coming on. You guys now have your own show, getting ready to graduate law school here pretty soon. Why don't you guys kind of uh, wrap up with what your show is, what it focuses on, and then where you guys are in the educational process and what's next for you in your careers. Well, we're actually two L's, so we've got we've got another almost year and a half to go uh, before we graduate. But um, the podcast is the Oklahoma Energy Podcast. It's OklahomaEnergyPodcast.com, spelled exactly like it sounds. And um, we, we actually acquired a, our first sponsor recently, uh, Scott Casso, with uh, Casso Land and Imaging Services. And we, um, we just try to bring up, you know, the podcast is, is slowly evolving and, and you know, First few episodes are always going to be a, a, an interesting time, and uh, we've kind of discovered more and more that we'd like to highlight, um, you know, very not just legal or, or um, you know, law-related uh, people or, or issues, but really the whole industry. And if we can, we're going to try to relate it back to OU and back to um, basically the the people who helped us set up the pod. I mean, especially Professor Dancy; he's been amazing. Um, and then we also, like, uh, we did our episode, our most recent episode from the floor of NAEP, and we had on um, Steve Long, or former director of the energy management program at OU, as well as um, the new director, which is Mike McConnell. Um, and for anybody from OU who's wondering uh, how the energy management program, the undergraduate energy management program is doing uh, without Steve Long, because Steve Long was there forever, um, and, and he did an amazing job, but I'll tell you, it is in good hands with Mike McConnell. Uh, we got to visit with him a lot, uh, not only during the podcast, but um, during Nate and at the uh, OU alumni reception. And he's a great guy. Um, I think the energy management program in the undergrad 
really grow even stronger than it was right now. But um, we'll be there to cover it. And really, we're hoping to um, take this podcast and we're going to see, we actually have our student society elections here coming up in a few months. And we're going to try to bring on some new team members and make sure that the podcast survives our tenure at the University of Oklahoma College of Law so that someone else can take over. That's right. It's great that this is, uh, you know, we're going to leave this legacy. And also, uh, it is interesting, you know, we're associated with the OU College of Law. Um, but also, this this podcast touches on a lot more than just law and just the oil and gas industry. Uh, one of our first podcasts was uh, focused on water rights issues Can in, really work. in the Permian. Um, so it, it really is, you know, this is a really dynamic industry and it's really exciting because it, it almost seems like there's an unlimited amount of facets to, to touch on. So there's always gonna be a lot of great, you know, material to cover in, in podcasts that pertain to this industry. Yeah, and I'll say we were up a creek without a paddle before Ryan Dobbs came on with us because, frankly, we met have pretty voices, but we had no idea how to do all of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And really, he's sitting right next to me, but he we can't thank him enough. He really stepped up and, and came in and, and made this a thing and really handles all the back-end stuff. Yeah, we're going to have to cut that part out because our, our producer will, will be wanting recognition like that. So we're going <laughs> to have to cut that out in post. Uh, but look, guys, uh, obviously it's exciting to hear what you guys got going on. Um, and we'll be sure to link to your podcast in the show notes so listeners that might be interested can go check that out. Anything else you want to plug or promote before we get you out of here today? Yeah, so um, if it would be all right with you, we actually just established a link online where folks can support the Student Society in any amount. Um, basically, uh, we just we're looking for we're looking for money to help us. We're actually trying to put together a scholarship for an energy management undergraduate student who'd like to come to law school and do oil and gas law, but we're also looking for money to send. Um, students to all sorts of different con- uh, conferences, such as NAEP, um, Doug, uh, the ABA's Water Law Conference. Really, we, we're, we're looking for uh, anybody who can help us send Sooners and law students out to represent OU Law and, and hopefully generate as much public goodwill and support and, and really um, you know, build that reputation as far as we can. So if it's all right, I'll share that with you and, and maybe you can share that with your listeners. Yeah, yeah, just get that over to Nate, and he will link it to it in the show notes so listeners can check that out as well. Um, and I know you can find these guys on LinkedIn, so be sure to connect with them there. Guys, it was a pleasure catching up with you, and best of luck on the podcast and your studies at Oklahoma. And uh, hopefully we'll get you guys on maybe you know later this year and, and catch up. We would love to, and really, um, before we go, we got to say thank you to you because I don't know if your listeners know this, but you came up and really – kind of help us, helped us uh, put this whole thing in motion with the podcast. Uh, Professor Dancy set up a dinner between us and you, and, and really you gave us the advice and the framework to go off of. So really, we just want to sincerely thank you for, for all your support and really helping get this off the ground. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. Uh, and come up again. Yeah, come up again. That was, that was very gracious of you. And I think it's, uh, you know, a really good commentary on the the industry and how amenable people are in oil and gas. Absolutely. Be happy to come up again. Maybe uh, I got this baby due. So after the baby comes, may come up in the summertime or something and uh, be love to hang out with you guys again. Uh, Be sure to check out the podcast, folks. We'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, 
uh, Dan, Brandon, and Ryan. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Well, I want to give Dan, Brandon, and Ryan another shout-out. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Great information about Nate. Uh, love the talks about the virtual reality. And, uh, Ryan, you might have to get me a ticket to Nate next year so I can go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's always an experience for sure to go to Nate. Um, but, you know, Josh, I was I was thinking about that. I did go up there. I had dinner. And I sent Joe Dancy a, a bill. And uh, I'm about to follow up on that because it sounds like their show's doing well and you know, I mean, they're co- they're collecting money, so why can't we collect a little money here? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Support, support them, and they support us. Something like that, right? Yep. Reciprocal. Uh, yep. And hey, before we go, speaking of support, you can support us by going to texwellandgaspodcast.com slash fishing, signing up for the fishing trip, or if you want to go take yourself or your clients, go to baffinbayrodandgun.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. Tell them we sent you, and uh, they'll take care of you down there for a nice fishing trip josh anything else before we get out of here today no man i think that wraps us up okay thank you so much to the listeners for tuning in and until next time keep climbing